An all-new Classic Wax starts now. The positive vibration that music is... Please welcome your hosts, Ian Rice and Steve Sumner. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Classic Wax Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ian Rice, and with me is Mr. Steve Sumner. Steve, how are you, sir? Hello. Good. Yeah, how are you doing? Wonderful to see you, my friend. It's lovely. It's lovely to be here. So first episode went very well. Got a lot of good responses on that. Uh, well, you know, I mean, how could, it's Stephen Stills. How could you not? It's true. It's true. And I appreciate everybody that tuned in and checked out the first of the reboot, as it were. We're very excited to be here today discussing an album that was <laughs> admittedly my pick. Uh, Steve could not name a song off this album with a gun to his head before I brought it up, I think. Isn't that right? I don't I don't know. I don't know that I want to admit that. I think I want you to cut that out of the podcast. No, read read read. <laughs> no, you're right. I hadn't I hadn't heard a note of it. Not a note. <laughs> Didn't know a hair on its head. No, only because it's I think it's better that way. Because this is like a fresh take oh, on yeah. an album that's essentially over 20 years old. I oh man, I, I I've been on a hell of a journey with this thing because you know, I had to stay in the game, you know, and there were and there might have been some points early on where I would have been like, no, it's but no, it's like, oh, Ian's going to be cross with me. Got to listen to that one. I can't I can't be turning up and busking this because I, I, you know, I can't. It's like Stephen Stills. I could have done it on autopilot. I have to, I have to have my wits about me here because I did not know this album. So I'm, I mean, I'm on my, you know, seventy fifth listen round. Yeah, I mean, did you have any relationship with Wilco otherwise before this, or, or my, they're just not on your radar? My relationship with Wilco is I had a copy of Summer Teeth at university, and I used to get through about the first three tracks, and it's like can't stand it would come on. I'm like damn this organ riff is great and then i'd always have stopped by about the third track <laughs> and recently i started covering casino queen because i was on a big open g guitar tuning tip and i i lit just literally was just scraping everywhere on the internet to find things in open g that were naturally in open g rather than trying to change my songs into open g and casino queen turned out to be so i became quite familiar with that you know always in love these sorts of things but but i mean they were not my band or a band I was particularly into for, for reasons we, we can talk about All as right. we go along. <laughs> the interesting thing I think about Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is that it came along at a very creative period for the band, but also a very tumultuous period of the band in yeah. which they they changed out their longstanding drummer. There was some tension between Jeff Tweedy and Jay Bennett, which would ultimately lead to Jay Bennett leaving the band even before the record came out, but it yet is regarded as somewhat of a masterpiece and was yeah. upon release and remains to this day. 
Did you say some tension between him and Jay? <laughs> I was trying to be nice you, about it. I, I, I've watched the documentary. I was re-watching the scene uh, yesterday. I was re-watching the scene and um, just to, to see if it was as tense as I remembered. It was as tense as I remembered. I, I, I assume you're referring to the scene where uh, Jay and Jeff are debating about the mix into heavy metal drummer. I guess I am. Oh, yeah, it's a little rough. That's that is that is rough watching. That yeah. is you're watching a band fall apart in front of your eyes. It's not good. And it's not that like you know I've seen on film like for example Stephen Stills and David Crosby arguing. It's not that high volume arguing. It's just so oh, it's much worse. Subtext, you know, so subtle. So much worse. It's like yeah. it's Stephen Stills shouting in Crosby's face. You just think, ah, oh, they're young, they're coked up. It's they're just grandstanding. Doesn't have any effect on me at all, you know. And I'm a huge fan of those guys. I know the stories. I know how heated that's getting. Didn't bother me in the slightest. This, I said, it's probably because of English. You know, it's, it was this was so much more. We're going to hold on to our cup of tea and not express our true feelings and our faces. <laughs> Our faces will not change, but we will. I, you know, this is going to get so tense that I'm going to go and be sick in a minute. But we won't actually shout at each other. It was horrible, absolutely horrible. Yeah, and then you know you see also you know the Wilco management obviously backing the band, but you know they kind of detract from Jay's contributions to that band. And I, I ultimately, I had said this to David, my co-host on the State of America podcast. I said that the the relationship between Jeff Tweedy and Jay Bennett was very much akin to the relationship to between Rich Robinson and Mark Ford, in as much as they are at their best when working together. Well, this is the, this is the thing that I then dug into because you know you'd sort of get you know your Wikipedia type sort of entry level comments would be oh well you know um, up until then the songs had been by both of them and then it all fell apart and it, and it, what that wasn't strictly true it's like. I think albums one and two, it was sort of Jeff Tweedy. And then it's only really Summer Teeth where it says these songs are by these two people, mm-hmm. although one of them is writing the lyrics, the other one's responsible for the music. But but then obviously this album, apart from I think three tracks where it just says Tweedy, it's like the majority of it is is credited to both of them, certainly musically, mm-hmm. uh, and, and Tweedy for the lyrics. And, you know, I mean, he he was... I become quite obsessed with with Jay Bennett as as a character. I mean, he he I found him difficult to watch on screen. I this is going to sound perhaps pretentious. It's not meant to, but I found his energy really difficult. I I found it being difficult in a room with him watching him on the screen in terms of the the vibe he was giving off. Even in the good stuff, there was something about his vibe that was intense in a way that I found extremely challenging. But equally, I'm kind of obsessed with him as a musician. I mean, he you know he was just phenomenal absolutely phenomenal musically and that that got me thinking you know you go back to the little wilco i did know and you're looking at sort of uh can't stand it thinking well, i bet that organ riff that absolutely makes that song is him you know i bet that was him you know because he he had he had chops to burn him he was, he was like the prince of that band he had it all going on but i guess it's a bit more like the waters gilmore aesthetic in pink floyd towards the end where you've got someone who's a fantastic musician but the other guy is quote unquote the ideas man at this point he's the one bringing you know ideas with a capital i to the table which means that's where the power base is and they you know bye 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 jay (laughs) it was painful stuff it is it absolutely was jay bennett is one of the most unsung heroes of the last 30 years of music i think Uh, his solo material was great but it virtually went ignored i mean it had a very small core audience that he carried 
with him until he passed away. And uh, but yeah, I mean, there's there's stuff he did with this gentleman named Edward Birch. Uh, you know, a couple of record stores days back, they actually released it on vinyl. It's called The Palace at 4 a.m. You know, it's, it's I I still really enjoy Wilco, but it's never been quite the same without Jay Bennett's input. This is again, this is you know, this, this seems to be a, a feeling that their golden years were w- with him, and and I think there was a I think there was some some feeling that the uh, I'm trying to break your heart documentary sort of gave him a bit of a bad deal, and and there's been another documentary I think Where Are You Jay Bennett I think it's called, mm-hmm. which sort of sought to redress the the balance a little bit, but I mean it's it's a it's a very the whole thing's a very interesting story. I mean, I mean, I absolutely, if I was Tweedy, I know I would have absolutely sacked him because I couldn't, I just couldn't have been around that energy. And at the same time, if I was Jay Bennett, I would have been mortified because I'm like, well, <laughs> you need me. This band's going to be nowhere near as good without me. And he was right. And I don't, it's not a question of rights or wrongs. It just didn't work anymore, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's hard to find your footing when you, when you lose your, your writing partner in a way or, or some, or the person that you it seemingly bounce the majority of your ideas off of yeah you're the ideas man but somebody else is helping you edit and shape those ideas into songs and and lyrics or what have you you know and it's 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 difficult when that dynamic changes and yeah. now it's essentially jeff tweedy yeah it seems like a more collaborative effort these days and uh, the lineup they have has been pretty steady for a number of mm. years now but mm. it's mostly everything starts with jeff tweedy yeah yeah, that's that's certainly the impression I've I've got from from research and reading, definitely. But this album for me, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, from the moment I first heard it, I was in love with this album. I I listened to it based off of I don't I can't recall the magazine, but I read a write up on it and how fantastic it was, and I had heard a lot about it because there was a lot of controversy around its release. You know, initially they were dropped from their label for turning in this album and yeah. would ultimately release it almost a year later on a subsidiary of the same label, which is odd. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so there was a lot of chatter about this album, about its circumstance as much as the music. But when I did hear it, I mean, I, I, I don't think I put it down since. I mean, I always kind of referred back to this album at one point or another. Are we talking year of release when you, when you, when you came to this? Yeah. 2002. Wow. So it's been with you a long time. But, well, uh, Yeah. All right, look, should we, should we, before we talk about it, I'm going to have to address, because I did not fall in love with it instantly, and, I, and I'm going to have to own why. So none of what I'm about to say is an argument I would make about good, bad, or indifferent. It's about the colours I hear and the sounds that I hear and, and how I emotionally react to them. And my thing is singers who are singing at the top of their range. You you might have heard of a little guy called Chris Robinson. He does quite a lot of that. Um, you know, Shannon Hoon from Blind Melon is one of my favourite singers. I mean, I love, uh, you know, I, I, I it's like, you know, Rod Stewart in the 70s could be singing some awful nonsense and my brain's sort of still not being as, you know, discerning as it should because he's belting it out. You know, Paul Rogers in free, he's really giving it some. And I've always found it very challenging to cope with that shade, that color that you get from, you know, Elliot Smith and Eels and this kind of thing, where it's like, I'm singing in my middle register and my voice isn't really, <laughs> and it sounds like I'm not really trying at all. And this, it, you know, that 
takes me quite a long time to get past because it's not a sound vocally that draws me in at all. Not least because I, I like to sing at the top of my own register. And if I was to sing in this middle register, it, it would it would sound bad. It would sound it would sound like I just wasn't bothering. And it, so I find that hard. And also going back to some of the earlier Wilco stuff, I realized that he wasn't really doing this before he was he because he doesn't have a good high register but i like that because he sounds like he's yelping mm. you know which is great because it sounds kind of weird and desperate you know and it's like if you the live versions of casino cream is going all right yeah all right in between you know all these uh, uh you know he's really going for it a lot and i mean that it's bad uh, in a lot it's of ways right. but it's all right um it, it, it's sort of measurably bad in sort of proper singing ways but i love it Whereas in terms of tune delivery, this is probably more measured and better, but it's a not it's not a tonal thing that draws me in at all, which is probably why I'd always listen to sort of Summer Teeth and by about the third song I would have dropped off because my brain's going these are great songs, but my body my is going oh I can't cope with this at all. But then you said we should do this for a podcast, so I've had it on rotation. Yes, you've you took a deep dive into the Yankee Hotel Fox route, didn't you? Yeah, I did. And of course, inevitably, when anyone spends a time with something this good, you you get past whatever that is. And I got past whatever that is. And I came to see that it is the masterpiece it is. And it's it's a fantastic piece of work. And it's been a joy. But it took me some time. Well, there, I mean, there is a reason why they give it an 11 LP reissue. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to see the progression of how the songs got to where they were. But we talk about a hard point to jump in the album starts with a hard point to jump in the first track being i am trying to break your heart I feel like I am trying to break your heart is almost challenging you in a way because it's yeah. really not indicative of the remainder of the songs. Yes, there's a certain style that is a thread throughout the album, but I am trying to break your heart is a lot of noise and a lot of dissident pianos and odd yeah. sounds and odd times. Guitars are pretty much pulled out of the mix entirely, uh, even though they were present on earlier versions of the song. But there's something about I am trying to break your heart that for lack of a better term, it's heartbreaking in a way, in the best way possible. And lyrically, it's one of the coolest nonsensical lyrics I've ever heard. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, because assassin last time I looked is definitely not a verb. Um, you know, it's you know that that opening lyric is as challenging as anything. I mean, you, you know, I went back to Casino Queen to sort of listen and go, what's what's going on with his lyrics here? And that's a very straight sort of country. I shouldn't be gambling kind of tune. Mm. And this is this is abstract painting with words, and yeah. it's as challenging. I think that that opening two lines is as challenging as the cacophony of weird noises uh that you're sort of introduced to and i think you've got to make a decision whether you're going to buy into this or not at that point and clearly the record companies decided not to but yeah i mean it's it's an it's clearly for me it's clearly the opening track i, I love records that open with opening tracks that are like one of the longest things on it i think that's a great I, that's a great thing to do it's just like screw you you're gonna buy this or you're not <laughs> I could definitely see handing this over to the record company and, you know, these guys put in the disc and they start listening to, I am an American aquarium drinker. And they, you know, yeah. it's kind of like, what is this? This is not what we signed up for. But if you can get through the first track, you're home free in my opinion, but it doesn't make it any less of an important track to me in the, in the running order. And it's, and it's in a weird way as a favorite. I think it's, it became, to be honest, it's one of the few tracks I listened to and liked immediately, strangely, because because I, I loved all the weird sounds. I was drawn in by all of that. And then obviously something that they do well, and they do quite a lot on this album, is have that sort of ecstatic second half where, you know, particularly the piano that I'll get to a lot, I think, because I think the, the, key, the keys and particularly piano is one of the, the big highlights of this album. Once the piano comes in for that sort of big, joyous closing section, I was like, oh, okay, this is this is this is a great opening. You know, I'm I'm really interested. And actually, it was. I think a lot of people will get to second track, obviously, but I think a lot of people would then sort of hear the second track and sort of breathe a sigh of relief and go, oh gosh, that's a bit more mainstream. But actually, I found that much more off-putting. I, I loved the weirdness of the opening, and it definitely to me sets the pace for. Jeff Tweedy's vision on this one. Like, I understand yeah. why, even though it might have been a harsh thing to do, or who knows, it could have been a long time coming. I mean, I'm not in the band. I don't know their interpersonal relationships, but, you know, to get rid of Ken Coomer and bring in Glenn on the drums, mm -hmm. his style of playing suits what Jeff Tweedy was going after on this album. Mm -hmm. It was odd time signatures, not your straightforward drumming in a, in a lot of, a lot of cases. Yeah, yeah, you can see him in the in the, in the film, like you know, banging timpani and you know, smacking drumsticks on weird objects. And clearly, he was he was completely up for that. I think yeah. they all they all were. Um, and you mentioned the keys too. I mean, the, they they're handled primarily on this album by Jay Bennett and Leroy Bach, who stuck yeah. with Wilco for I think another album and tour cycle after this. But you know, both excellent contributors on the keys, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, massively. I, I do think it's it's one of the real. I think this the stars of the album. I think this album would be much diminished without the remarkable keyboard playing all the way through. I do love, I do love the little snatches of "I'm the Man Who Loves You" at the end as well. I, yes. I do, I do, I, I do like um, anything that hints at there is a. You know, I mean, it's it's cheap, really. It's like, oh, there's a concept here, or this is a this is a coherent piece of work. But I'm a total sucker for that stuff. It's like, <laughs> okay. Yeah, draw me in. I, you know, that this feels like you, you're trying to, you know, make it sound like a a, a world. But that's the thing. In the end, this album is is a is a kind of world that you fall into and stay there for the duration, and then come out of the other the other side. You know, changed man. Um, but you know, I I, I think no. I, I sorry, I'm I, I'm sound like I'm undercutting my own point. I th I think it is a it is a world 
which is the same thing, which is why I loved that people call it the, the Kid A of Americana, because I didn't get Kid A for years. thought it was pretentious nonsense. And of course, you know, came to it 20 years later. And it was like, this is a, this is a world. This mm. is a world you can dive into and sort of get lost in. And so I love the idea of this. I mean, it's it's a cheap analogy in a way, but I love the idea of this being the Kid A of Americana because that was my a similar experience. It was like, you know, I'm not... I'm not going to get national anthem out anytime, you know, just listen to that one track. I'm going to sort of sit with kid a and get lost in the whole thing. You know, I've not heard it referred to as the, the kid a of Americana, but that really, I mean, yes, as a, whoever came up with that, that's a perfect summation of it. And equal experience I had with both of those records. Like, like you said, you know, you may, may write it off because you think it's pretentious or, but when you start listening to these things, you can tell the, the people that are really creatively got their teeth into something and yeah. the people that are trying to make it sound odd for odd's sake. And Kid yeah. A and Yankee Hotel Foxtrot are really guys that have gotten a hold of something and are really working something fresh and creative. I think it's a really nice experience as well. Have you have you had that where you've listened to something that you thought was silly nonsense when you were 20, when you were probably much more up for silly nonsense than you are now? But then, you know, so for me, I mean, I listened to it and thought it was pretentious wank. And then, you know, 20 years later, I've listened to lots of, john coltrane and and lots of you know techno and and, and suddenly kid a didn't sound strange at all <laughs> and it was like oh that's what you were doing i just thought you were showing off that you'd gone weird um <laughs> gone weird <laughs> yeah like, you're right yeah well you know gone weirder yeah <laughs> yeah that's true though i mean sometimes like i i you know you say that and the first thing that popped in my head actually was paul mccartney's ram it took me a while to oh, to, to sink into that and i love that record Yes, great. But I'm detouring us by bringing up all I, these other fantastically weird records. <laughs> if you'll notice that I'm being very disciplined, you said Ram. I did a little intake of breath, and then I thought, if I if I bite that particular, you know, bullet, I'm gonna. This, that's another ten minutes of chat. So I'm saying nothing, nothing about Ram. We can't because Ram will come up on this uh, on this oh, podcast yeah. in the future. Uh, it has yes. to. <laughs> that's it <laughs> next time we can't agree on which album to do we'll just we're both we're clearly just agreed now ram's happening all right yeah we're at a stalemate ram comes in okay i got Love it. it yeah so the second track in the order actually quite takes a right turn in my opinion yeah and that's camera I'm a big fan of camera. I don't, what are your thoughts on it? Interestingly, it's the one I've been singing the most. It's it's the one I'm humming down the street. <laughs> Continue. I've been humming it. You know, it won't it won't leave now. Um, yeah, I really I really like it. And again, it sort of took me because I was so taken by the the sort of depth and strangeness of the opening track. I was sort of a bit confused. And again, there's the vocal, and it's interesting because I don't know whether he's doing it with himself or whether it's the bass 
the bassist singing, but it, it's he's doing that thing where I'm going to sing in my middle register. So, and then I'm going to sing, and I'm going to do it falsetto, but in an octave. So there's no harmony here. And again, that's not, that's not a blend I like usually because not, neither of those voices are really going for it. It's like, mm. I'm not, I'm not pushing. I'm doing a sort of soft falsetto and a soft middle vocal. And that, again, not my thing, but you know, after the fifth time you've listened to it, you can't, it becomes irresistible, doesn't it? It's, uh, and then, and then you start to realize how great all the strangeosity in the background is because it's deceptively conventional, this one, isn't it? it? It's, it's sort of, it feels like a very conventional song, but there's a lot of weird going on in the background. It's just, it's great. The whole thing's great. It is. It, it almost, to me, the way it starts out, because it kind of just starts with that acoustic chugging yeah. riff, for lack of a better term, but, you know, just kind of, very monotonous kind of playing and then when all the other instruments open up into it it's almost like okay we've just unlocked the conventional button yep. here you know we've we've let the conventional stuff into the mix and and to me the rest of the album kind of has a balance between that like you'll get these real almost pop elements popping in and yep. then you know the weirdness and and the soundscapes and everything and and the the songwriting and also the songwriting that doesn't seem like songwriting. It's just, it's such a, such a, an odd mix of things that somehow gels all together very well. But this, this to me could have easily been on college radio somewhere, you know, at the time it came out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It does sound like it could have been a, a, a single, you know, be played on the radio and you'd have to, you'd have to have headphones on to notice the weird, you know, yeah. <laughs> you could have it, you know, on, on, on a car stereo and, the weird would get cut out by the engine noise. You'd just hear the tune, you know? Exactly. But it can survive on both planes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No. And it works, it works brilliantly here. It's a, it's a nice change of, you know, color and tone from the, from the song before it. If you've not heard it, if you go back and listen to some of the demos and original versions, camera starts in a very different form. It's, it's almost like a punk song in a way. Where does one find these on the, on the sort of deluxe edition? Are they? Yeah, they've been spinning around on uh, bootlegs for a long time, but I think that those particular versions, if you go on Spotify, it's on there. It's on, yeah, like I sort of tried to avoid the deluxe because mm. I've been doing sort of listen after listen after listen of the thing itself, and, mm-hmm. and I did a couple of watch throughs of the film, which looked like a completely different documentary. Once I'd sort of got, you know, I watched it once, then listened to the album, then watched it a second time, and sort of went, oh, I see what's happening now. Now, now I know this album, but yes, I will now go and visit all of the the demos as well. You've now, got, just, hey, st- back off, man. You've got 20 years of listening to this <laughs> on me. I don't want to be made to feel stupid for not knowing the demos. I no, I'm, I'm giving you the keys. I know. I'm yeah. <laughs> just messing with But you mentioned the film, by the way. Yeah. I feel like the documentary, which is also called I Am Trying to Break Your Heart, for those who have not heard of it or seen it, I feel it adds to the listening experience of this album tenfold. Oh, hugely. I think... You need one to have the other and you know, and vice versa. I, I had assumed that you were only going to suggest albums from this point onwards that had an accompanying documentary that I could watch so that I sound <laughs> appropriately briefed before I talk on the radio. <laughs> if that's not the case, then I want out. Listen, there was a lot of homework involved in this and you did it all. So yeah, I, I, I'm very right. proud of you, Steve. Yeah, thanks very much. <laughs> thanks, Dad. I appreciate it. <laughs> now... Next up is actually, for me, uh, the track I go back to the least. Not ah. that I necessarily dislike it. It's just, I think I'm just more keen to get to the others. But we're talking about Radio Cure. Oh, 
I see this. It's a little too somber for me. Smack yes. where it is in the track order. I, I've written, I don't often quote my notes directly. I like to sound like it's organic, folks. She said, lifting behind the curtain, showing you what's going on. But it says here in my notes, this sounds like the kind of miserabilism I left behind many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that opening vocal. Cheer up. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. I just, Honey, I think you can. It's just, I was like, oh, this is going to be, this is going to be tough. This is going to be rough. And it was, it was for a long time. But actually, I think that the whole point of the, that sort of section and that, that really quite, quite rough sort of miserable sounding thing it is because the juxtaposition of when distance has no way of, what is it making love understandable or that, that, that section comes in the, the sort of juxtaposition when it sort of changes the key a little bit i think it modulates the key maybe minor to major but stays in the same key anyway but but when that comes in it's such an incredible relief slash release from what's gone previously that it, it makes the song it makes the song and I, and I think you have to get through the cheer up honey i wish you uh, i hope you can i think it is. i think you have to get through all of that stuff to 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 get that payoff but yes, it was it was the hardest for me to get into. So I'm interested to hear you you say that about it. Yeah, it's just it's almost like I like I had mentioned. I think it's partly its placement in what's going on. Yeah, uh, had it come a little bit later or or next to a couple of the other tracks, I might have might have been a little easier to take. But it's kind of sandwiched in between two of the three most accessible songs on the record. So it's almost mm -hmm. disjointed in a way. But it's not that I dislike it. But it is that kind of also kind of teenage angst a little bit you know what i mean that's the bit that i yeah i struggled with yeah but i think it i think it pays dividends if you stick with it if then, you know you're going on a podcast and you have to stick with it <laughs> <laughs> then we get right back to the to the more conventional sound we 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 shuffle on into war on war to me is is at times very very similar to camera and its approach yeah but wouldn't disagree with that there's a lot of the same kind of instrumentation a lot of the same kind of vocals you know it's largely acoustic based but just is something i like about war and war and actually the lower register voice is jay bennett okay yeah i didn't i didn't manage to get as far as working out who was doing what in the vocal blends so yeah, I mean, it doesn't surprise me. And the guy could clearly do anything. 
Yeah, it's yeah, it's structurally quite similar to camera, isn't it? And the, all the electronic, the the electronic pulse stuff works really well. I, I think my only issue with this track is that whether again, War on War is is such a emotive title, especially mm. with which we haven't talked about. It may not be the time yet to talk about the sort of nine eleven connotations of this album, but it, it, it sort of I feel like War on War is is a declaration title of the kind of song it's going to be and then you end up with another incredibly abstract lyric that doesn't even suggest abstract in a kind of related to that title kind of a way and i wonder if it's crossing a line of too abstract for me in places this you know and and also i have i have a a bit of an issue with songs that sound like road songs which is you know i'm on the tour bus and i'm writing about being on the tour bus and there's the just i started to that get that little feeling of just, i think it's just watching the miles fly by you are not my typewriter you know and it's like oh hang on it sounds like you're on a tour bus just describing what's going on i've got my alert going on the only time anyone ever got away with it's wiser time thank you the yeah. crows yeah it's not it's not a favorite thing of mine so i do wonder if there's too much abstract going on here but it's an irresistible melody the sounds are great and just to feed into the mythology of this album a little bit over the course of the years you know i did a lot of a lot of reading on this one and one of the things i i read was that one of the points of contention between jeff tweedy and jay bennett was there was a lot of accusations that jay bennett was perhaps altering the mixes after the fact to heighten his contributions and this is one of the the fact that his his lower register is a little bit more audible in the mix is is one of the things that was pointed to a few times now whether there's truth in that or not i'm not sure but you know it's all those things that kind of feed into the to the lore of this album i love that again that's another one i love where you know just trying to think what what the other album where where someone would sneak in at night and sort of remix it and then they'd mix it back again the next day and then you know I just trying to I feel like I feel like it was Black Sabbath with Dio and it was like the the two Americans would like go home and then the two Brits would come in at night and remix it again and then the two Americans would come out the next day and go what's happening and yeah that's what sunk the original version of America which was called Tall by the Black Crows. Yep. And Van Halen's Fair Warning. Eddie Van Halen used to come in at night and re-record all his guitar parts. <laughs> so he could do them the way he wanted to do them. Who was messing with it on tour? I'm going to guess, hang on, I'm going to guess Rich. Well, I, I, if you, I forget what uh, interview or documentary it was in, but it would say that one of them would work during the day and one of them would work at night. So one would come in and erase what the other one had done. So it was just, oh, right, okay, yeah. they were just contradicting each other right. all day long, you know? That sounds about right. In true Robinson Brothers fashion. Love it. But, the next track up in the order here kind of introduces some orchestration into the mix, which I got very excited about, and that's Jesus, etc. Don't cry. You can rely on me, honey. You can come by anytime you want. I'll be around. You write about the stars Each one is a setting sun Tall buildings shake Voices escape Singing sad, sad songs Tune to chords Strung down your cheeks Bitter melodies Turning your orbit around 
buses wide Skyscrapers are scraping together Your voice is smoking I think this track is fantastic. I love the way Jeff Tweedy sings this song and sings his his lyrics. So like the part where he says, uh, tall building shake voices escape singing sad sex songs tuned mm-hmm. to chords. And the way he says that, yeah, just like it's the it's the delivery on this one that really does it for me. And the added orchestration. I like to hear strings on things. I'm a I'm a string kind of guy. Yeah, the string arrangements really reminded me of Nick Drake. I don't know whether that mm. would be correct or not but it had that sort of slightly pastoral slightly english thing going on and and it's great because they sometimes they're plucking sometimes they're playing and it's it's sort of the the strings sort of change what they're doing all the way through when it opens the jesus don't cry opening line i sort of again i thought oh this is going to be this is not for me but the chorus is so utterly irresistible and it's actually the tune to chords line that Mm. is my favorite. I love apps. Once I heard what the line was, it took me ages to hear the line. Eventually I sort of looked at it and went, Oh, that's what the line is. And yeah, his delivery of it makes it. It's exactly my favorite bit. Yeah. So we're, Oh, look, we're directly on board on the same page on that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think it's one of the, the best, the best things here, but I think that's, that's just that chorus is, it's just too good, too good for words. It probably is one of, if not the highlight of the album for me. And I'll give you a little bit of a trivia to go home with there, Steve. The oh, title of the song, if you don't know this already, nope. is Jesus, etc. Because it's actually Jesus Don't Cry. But on the tape box, they just abbreviated it by writing Jesus, etc. Okay, two things. One, <laughs> I love that. Two, whether you believe this or not, this is the God's honest truth. I had guessed that that was the story. <laughs> You're because, a musical clairvoyant. <laughs> there you go. It just it felt like it kind of it was screaming at me. This is the this is something that some totally disinterested engineer has written on the box because he can't remember the lyrics because he doesn't care about lyrics. So uh, that's points to me, universe. Yeah. you can you know you can cut that bit out. It sounds like I'm bragging, but it's true. I it is true. That. And I'm going to tell you <laughs> something. You deserve to have heard this album and enjoyed it because you came up with that on your own. You're meant to that's have right. a relationship with this one. Yeah. Yeah, too right. Bring it on. Now, moving on is probably a very close second favorite for me on this record. It actually is the title of one of their live DVD concert recordings that came out a couple of years later, and that is Ashes of American Flags. I'm down on my hands and knees Every time the doorbell rings I shake like a toothache when I hear myself sing Oh my Lies are only wishes I know I would die If I could come back to like to salute the ashes of American flags and all the falling leaves filling up shopping bags somewhat of a signature song for the band I feel like again lyrically Jeff Tweedy's knocking this one out of the park when you have a line as good as 
I'd like to salute the ashes of American flags and all the fallen leaves filling up shopping bags. That's such a, a poetically good line. I, 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 uh, it makes me happy still to this day, 20 years later. I, I love that lyric. Well, it's got my it's got my favorite line of the entire album on it. Can you guess what it is? Let's see. There's so many good ones. Is it? It's. Uh, is it all my lies or only wishes? I I know I would die if I could come back new. That's a good no, one. No, no, no. I mean, sadly, it's not for the swearing. It's just because it's so brilliant. It's, I wonder why we listen to poets when no one gives a fuck. Oh yes. Oh, that's an early. Whoa. That's in the beginning there. Yeah. What a line! What it a is. line! I mean that re- that really got me. Re- it, I was like, "Whoa!" It's honest, and that's what a lot of his lyrics. That's, thank you. That's yeah. Whether they're abstract or simple, they're honest, and that's yeah, what there's... that's what you get out of a lot of Jeff Tweedy stuff. Well, I think good good poetry is incredibly direct, and there's something so brilliantly direct about that line because I just thought, "Yep," <laughs> and it's it's that's how it should be. Is also. Um, I could spend $3 and 63 cents on diet Coca-Cola and unlit cigarettes. There's just so many good lines in this. Yeah. I, it, lyrically, yeah, this yeah. is probably the winner overall for me. It's, it's Jesus, et cetera, but just lyrically, I think this is it for me. Oh, actually lyrically. Yes. I've also, I'm just looking at my notes here. It's, uh, I, I think that uh, I'm down on my hands and knees. Every time the doorbell rings is one of the most brilliant sort of evocations of anxiety I've ever mm. heard, you know, because it, it, again, that's what good poetry does, is it doesn't say, oh, I'm anxious, you know, my hands yeah. are shaking, or oh, oh, when I see you, I feel scared. You know, it's like, I'm down on my hands and knees, but the doorbell rings. It's like, my, you know, it, there's so much that line says. It's like, not only am I anxious, but I'm anxious about random shit that you will never understand. What? Oh, so many great lines in this. It's a, a phenomenal song. And whereas some other lyricists or artists might do that to evoke an emotion. Mm. Jeff Tweedy is really going through these things. Yes. Jeff Tweedy had an experience with severe depression. And I believe that still exists to this day. Like he battles with that, you know, and, and these are real illustrations of things. I do not doubt that he felt at some point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think and anxiety and addiction and, you know, all kinds of stuff. I mean, he, he's a very, very interesting, a very interesting character. I've enjoyed um finding out a bit more about him i'll come out with definitely with more respect for him i have to say i, I the i'm gonna i'm gonna lose my points deliberately here that i guessed with <laughs> uh for guessing on the box i also guessed slightly meanly but you know sometimes your subconscious gets there before your conscious does i i i was seeing his wife and, and child in the in the documentary and and my brain not deliberately assumed that this is rock and roll of course he's not still with that person you know this is just that's just not the way rock and roll works and of course you know he it's like you know your wikipedia and it, it's like oh and he's you know not only is he still with her he sort of converted to the jewish faith to to be closer to her and you know sang in his son's bar mitzvah and now he makes songs with his kids and it's all and i was like oh, okay well i've i've i misjudged you there jeff it was it was rock and roll i was blaming not jeff tweedy but it was yeah i got i got that one wrong Sorry, universe. It, did he really? Uh, I didn't know that he converted to Judaism uh, to to keep yep. that relationship strong. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So uh, you know, I, I've got a huge, huge respect for that. I think that's yeah. that's a hell of a commitment. Because also, I mean, committing to Judaism is no easy thing. It's not 
because it's a sort of ethnic religion, you can't sort of go, I'm a Buddhist now, you know, you can see that's fine. I'm a Buddhist now, I'm a Christian now, but you, you want to become Jewish and you're not sort of, you don't have an ethnic history. You, you've got to jump through some hoops. Um, that's a big deal. Yeah. So yeah, good on him. Love it. <laughs> it's funny that you said good on him because I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then oddly enough, things give way to what could arguably be the most upbeat track on the record, definitely the most lyrically positive track on the record, yeah. that's Heavy Metal Drummer. It's like it's probably the outlier, but it sort of doesn't sound out of place, which is contradictory. I don't know how that works, but it, 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 every time I listen to it, I feel like it should sound out of place, but it, it's it still works. And and one again, once I'd heard what the lyric was, the line "playing Kiss covers beautiful and stoned" is just phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, how- I would hope that this song works because it essentially ended this version of Wilco. You know what I mean? As we were discussing yeah. earlier. So, you know, I'm glad it worked out. Yeah. I don't know who won the argument in the end, to be honest with you. I don't know whose who's mix idea this one was. You know, I don't know if Jay won or, or Jeff. Well, it's a funny one because the song itself ends up being the most conventional thing on the record. But the arguments were about the sort of weirdness at either end of it, which is quite arbitrary weirdness. And I think, I think again, from what I've read, that the, 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 what it was was that Jay was like, yeah, but you've got this option and this option and this option and this option. If you move these faders to here, and, and, and apparently Jeff was just like, I, I just want it fixed. Yeah. Just, I don't care. Just, just, I want a weird sound there. And then the song, it's just, just make a decision, <laughs> which is odd because you think about him being the sort of the big ideas overview guy. So you'd think it, that argument for me should be the other way around. But yeah, I don't know. It's rock and roll, man. Rock and roll. It's a mystery, people. But, but yeah, a bit of bit of fun, this song, I think. A nice little yeah. breather in there. Yeah, and there's some, you know, some of the backing ground, the background stuff is, you know, the ooze, the ooh, yeah, stuff. I've got to stop singing. I'm sorry. I'm going to stop <laughs> singing it to you. Uh, it, there's, there's some really conventional aspects to this song. But yeah, somehow it manages to fit. And that's uh, that's John Stewart, the bass player. He does a lot of those higher, yeah. higher background odd things. He's actually the only other consistent member of Wilco through all its iterations is oh, John okay. Stewart. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I did enjoy his performances. Jeff Tweedy has, has said uh, uh, many times over the years that Wilco would not carry on if John Stewart was not there. Oh, wow. Okay. So he is very important in Jeff Tweedy's eyes to the band. Good on him. Yeah. <laughs> so then 
we come to another song which to me a little lighter not as light as maybe heavy metal drummer but that's i'm the man who loves you all i can see is black and white and white and pink with lids blue that live between the words i think on a pitch i was meaning to send to you i couldn't tell if to bring my heart the way i wanted when i started writing this letter to you I like this one for many reasons, largely because it has an excellent electric piano sound in this thing. Oh, wow. Sure. But surely the revolver era Beatles guitar soloing is, is the star here. Oh yeah, of course. Yes. No, yeah. that goes without saying, but oh, okay. I, I try to bring up some subtleties as well, you know? Oh, I see. You, oh, you, I see. You, you thought that that was the easy goal. So you thought I can't go for that. I've got to pick something cooler. No, I thought you would actually mention the guitar stuff. <laughs> so I didn't want to steal your your thing. You know? Okay, fine. That's <laughs> we it. Yeah, we don't compare have... notes beforehand. So no, we don't. That's that was that was an assumption on my part. Okay, all right. I think this track stands weirdly, even though heavy metal drummer sort of feels like the outlier more than this. I think this song actually stands on its own outside the album best, and it's the only one that's found its way onto a onto my Wilco playlists, weirdly. Not because I don't like the other tracks, but because the other tracks feel like they're too much part of this world to separate them from each other. Mm. But this got, you know, happily sat between, you know, Casino Queen and and something else upbeat, you know, and it, it's, it's, yeah, it's great. I love everything about this track, to be honest. I also really like Glenn's drums on this and the way they're recorded. Now that you mention it, though, now the more I think about it after you've said it, very Beatles-esque in terms of its mix and the way it's recorded. Yes. And he is one of the small issues where one of the small issues I have with this album comes in, which is, how do I put this? You, you, you get people who record live in the studio. Yes, they'll put overdubs and things on, but you've essentially got live tracks or, or bands that are completely live in the studio. And then you'll get sort of late era Beatles stuff where clearly, you know, everyone's recorded their parts completely separately. And if you get those God awful stereo Beatles mixes, you can hear, you know, the drums and the bass in your left ear and the guitar in your right ear. And it's separated to the point of ridiculousness because they don't even sound like they're in the same room at the same time, mm. which they're not thing about this album. That's a, a bit odd, especially after watching the documentary and seeing them do it in real time, is that they did both things, which is that they recorded a live track in almost every case, as far as I could see, then overdubbed lots of stuff on it and lots of weirdness, and then essentially kind of wrote the final track in the editing suite with the faders. So what you'll get is like this section when everything cuts out and you just you just get a little bit of brass and then everything comes back in 
it's a slightly false thing because you know that the live track is playing all the way through. And what's happened is that, you know, you can see the, the two of them sitting there by the faders doing it in, in my mind's eye going, right, we're going to take everything out for this bit. Now we'll put everything back in. Now let's just put the marimba in. You know, it, it's a slightly false idea because I, in my head, I still think, well, the live track's still going on somewhere in space. We mm. just can't hear it right now. Does that make sense? It does. It's almost like if you watch one of those classic albums episodes and they're they're playing with the faders so you yes. can hear key bits in the songs, you know? Exactly that. I, I totally understand that. For me, it depends on the album as to whether or not that works or not. In my mind, listening to this, this is intended to be a studio work, whereas you know they're yeah. using the studio almost as like an additional instrument. So yes. I can deal with that on that case. If you're trying to put it forward, like for example, uh, the Black Crows did a record called Before the Frost, which was essentially recorded live in Lee Von Helm's studio. So if I get a hint of an overdub on that, that's one too many. Then to me, I have a problem with that because that's meant to be that's that's being put across as something that's relying on that live mm. feel to it. This record, even though that there is that live in the room foundation, to me it was meant to be built upon. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. But it just, I just, just, I was just slightly more aware of it than I maybe usually am. Mm. So it was more like jarring to you, more noticeable. You mean? Uh, no, I don't think it got to jarring. I think I think if jarring's you know sort of seventy five percent on the scale, I think it only got to twenty five percent, which was okay. noticeable. I'm making this scale up as I go along, but you know, That's okay. I'll flesh it out. I'll flesh it out. So next track, I mean, I, I feel like a broken record. No pun intended. Saying this, another favorite of mine, and that's Pot Kettle Black. It's another more conventional sounding one, I think, isn't it? And uh, the opening guitar feedback is like just slightly more of a standard rock trope than some of the rest of the album's been, where it's like, mm. what weird ambient sound can we make now? Let's bang on this kettle. You know, it, it's like, okay, well, it's guitar feedback. It sounds more like Neil Young than, you know, the weirdness you've been doing so far. There's some great lines in it. I've, I've found a real rival in myself. I'm hoping for a real rival of my health. You know, it's... I like it. I don't. I don't like the twangy country guitar. I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliantly played. I think it's brilliantly picked. Something about it. it, it I find there's something too melancholy about it for me. Mm. Very interesting that you say that because that's how I feel about the kind of slide acoustic that's on "I'm the Man Who Loves You" towards the end. Oh, that okay. to me feels out of place, much the same way you're describing it on this track. So I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, but again, I think I think 
if it does happen on this album, it can it can be noticeable, not jarring, noticeable, because it stands out quite a long way in the mix because because of the soup they're creating and the way they're creating it. But that's all good. Possibly the only fade out on the record. Everything else kind of yeah. ends abruptly, whether it be musically or or just sonically abruptly. You know. Well, you have to wonder. I mean, everything else ends so weirdly that you know maybe the maybe the real end is so completely odd that they had to fade it out. Maybe there was just a fight. I think it's one of the genuinely great characteristics of this album is that you really can't predict what's coming. Everything is kind of different. Once you think yeah. you've got on this album's wavelength, here comes something else to to, to take you off that. And yeah, I, that's why I, I think I still find it exciting even after all these listens and all these years later. It's interesting as well, just thinking about his lyricism going back, because I think Casino Queen is a really important benchmark for me because it's so conventional in its everything, you know, and, and not least the, the sort of the rhyme scheme. But one of the things I noticed that he, he does by this point that he definitely doesn't on earlier records is he does a lot of internal rhyme where he'll rhyme a lot of words close to each other rather than at the ends of lines. And this is, the, I really noticed it here because it's like, uh, tied in a knot, but I'm not going to get caught, which he sounds as if it sounds like not calling a pot. And it, it, so you've got not, you know, not, not pot, caught, all very close together. And it creates a very interesting, well, a very interesting sound at that point, but it, it's an interesting way of using rhyme. And I, I get the impression again from a couple of interviews where he sort of said, you know, I sort of very self-consciously started reading a lot of, you know, very wordy books because I wanted my lyrics to be better. Uh, it doesn't sound forced. It, it's it's an interesting, you know, he's got some interesting lyrical approaches and techniques, and I, th I think it works really well. No, it does not sound forced at all. And our friend, our mutual friend, Jason Donches, refers to those type of things as uh, earworms. They're kind of things that get in your ear yeah. and they burrow their way in there. And his a lot of his phrasing does that to you. You know, and 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 the the part you just mentioned is is a is a prime example of that, in my opinion. So then we shuffle along to our penultimate track here. Yet another favorite of mine. I'm not going to uh, mince words or, or or wait till we get to this. I'm going to be honest with you. I honestly would have been perfectly fine if the record ended here. After me too. Mm. Yeah, hundred percent. But that's poor places. It's just been broken. His bandages wrapped too tight His bags have been pulled And I really want to see you tonight Someone ties a bow In my backyard to show me love is climbing walls smoking I want to love My child's been broken My heart is wrapped in ice Hot in the 
Places for me again lyrically is a home run, and there's a lot of things in this, and I, I'm not exactly sure why they just kind of hit me in my soul, yeah, throughout the whole album. But particularly on Poor Places, the opening line it's my father's voice trailing off sailors off in the morning. I, I just I don't know what it is, it's something about the you know, just somebody. I don't. I don't know what it is. It's the whether it be his phrasing or what he's saying. It just kind of, it hits me in a way that. And I'm not a lyric guy. I am so, so much a guitar and music guy. Like I don't remember lyrics because I'm so focused on what the <laughs> instrumentation is doing. Yeah. And 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 Jeff Tweedy is a guy that I I pay attention to his lyrics so much more because they just they just grip me in a way that a lot of other lyrics don't. Yeah, I think the it's for me it's the visual imagery in this song. It's the you know the the pulled fangs and the overwrapped bandage and these kind of things. It's like it's so you know I I, I whenever I hear this song I, I I see things you know I can I, I have I have really strong images in my head of of people in situations. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's exactly. very it's very clever. It's very clever stuff. I mean, if you take that whole piece that you just started with his jaw's been broken his bandages wrapped too tight his fangs have been pulled and i really want to see you tonight it's so like one is not related to the other it's such a it's almost just a collection of words and yet it makes sense in a way it's it's brilliant that somebody can do that i'm in awe of something like that yeah no totally but i i think that when it's done so deliberately and skillfully that things are put together that apparently have no relation at all. It can have a really strong effect, it, you know, because you, 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 people will smell it immediately if you've just put things together randomly, uh, but it works because he's, he, he's, yeah, it's like with, with you, you know, the, the bandage and the fangs and then suddenly I really want to see you tonight. It's like, there's no relation here at all, but it really works. It's funny because it's abstract and yet it makes sense in a way. Like I, I was listening to Joe Elliott one time, uh, talk about the difference between, say, like something meaningful like Bob Dylan's Blown in the Wind mm. or Mark Boland's Hubcap Diamond Star Halo, where it doesn't really make sense, but it works. Mm. In this case, it's almost like a marriage of the two. It doesn't particularly make sense, but yet it's saying something at the same time. I don't, yeah. it's it's like mesmerizing to me what Jeff Tweedy does sometimes with his lyrics. And I think when it uh, when it breaks down to it, it makes no difference to me and it just everything except the piano and the guitar just leaves the track and it's just piano, guitar and vocal. It's so emotive because so much is going on on this album so much of the time. And that's, that's a, that's a real moment. And then of course they bring it all back in and you get to the radio broadcast lady yeah. and, and it's just so mysterious and odd. Yes, it, it should, it should have ended there. It should have ended there. Don't you think that, because that's taken uh, apparently from an old, you know, World War II era recording of somebody mm. dictating what all the letter things are for, I, I forget the uh, the name of the, the that type of language, but, you know, for yeah. saying the special letters. Alphabet. The special alphabet. That's my, that's my brilliant yeah. name for it. 
I think you might even be right on that. But that okay, so yeah. it's somebody reading that off. But for some reason to me, that woman's voice and the way the recording sounds, whether it be the way they mixed it or it was just an old recording, is almost haunting in a way. Yeah. It kind of is like ghostly, you know? Oh yeah. No, no, totally. Totally. I think they had they they got sued for it and had to settle out mm. of course. They did. It's, it's like I'd love it if that woman sued them. If it was her specific, I don't think it was. I think it was the the the, the services. It would be great if it was. And then she wins the case. And on her way out the court, she's just walking by them, giving them the finger going Yankee hotel. (laughs) (laughs) Or, or as part of the settlement clause, every time they performed the song, she had to stand up and do it live on mic. (laughs) Yeah. They had to bring her out as a member of the band. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's what she should have asked for. I would have, you know, but maybe she wasn't as spiteful as we are. (laughs) No. But that's precisely why this should have been the point where the record ends, because not only does it go out on that very haunting note, it they're also saying Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. It's the yes. name of the record. Just yeah. go off into the into the horizon on that one. You know what I mean? Yep. Right off into the sunset, as they say. Yeah, I totally agree. hundred percent. But that's not to say that I dislike the last track, which is Reservations. so indifferent to the look in your eyes when I've always been distant and I've always told lies for love I'm bound by these choices so hard to make I'm bound by the feelings so easy to fake none of this is real enough to take me from you I enjoy this track. It should just be somewhere else. Not even necessarily on this record. It's a good track. It's just not this. This record was perfect for the first 10 tracks and could be left that way. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. It's good. I think the piano is the star again. I've literally says in my notes, I wonder if they should have finished with the Yankee hotel broadcast stuff. It's, it's true. It's bang on. Um, is it, is, you know, is it too gentle? Is it too simple for the end? And then, and then you've got that ambient soundscape sort of, to finish on on the end and it's doing something that the yankee hotel foxtrot thing has already done but better Mm. you know so so why why repeat the trick you know with having something sort of mysterious on the end of the track but in a in a less effective manner yeah i think you know like as as much as i i like the song it just detracts from the overall this is an album that is best taken in all together cohesively and that detracts from that ambition for me no i couldn't agree more but 
overall, it's a five star album for me for sure. Mm. Yeah, really I, I, I I would not disagree. Even as is, you know, with all eleven tracks, I would not disagree. Yeah, but I will say that in the, and this has always annoyed me in the documentary when they come when they have the string player come in to play the strings on reservations and he's running back the lyrics to Jeff Tweedy. He says, I have a reservation instead of, I have reservations. And it always bothered me <laughs> to that. And Jeff Tweedy did this and take his bow and smack him in the head. with it. <laughs> not the lyrics, man. <laughs> he just kind of, well, the- it's people like you, Ian Rice, who mm. don't listen to lyrics because they're too, you see, if you walked into your own hole here, who, who don't listen to lyrics because they're too quote unquote obsessed with the, what the guitar's doing and the music's doing in the background that create the sort of fertile environment where that sort of nonsense can grow. All right. I listen, I stand defeated here. You're correct in saying that it's assholes like me that only listen to the music. That I'm, allow- I'm not sure that I said assholes. Come on now. I did. And I'm staying by <laughs> that allows the lyrics just to go willy nilly. Who yeah. cares? Yeah. So you're right. Yeah, you I should be yeah. uh punished. But uh but yeah, fantastic record. And I I am so glad, Steve, that you that you took a record that I picked and enjoyed it so much. That really is nice for me. I want you to know that. No, I, I mean, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I think it will, I, I think it will stay with me for a couple of reasons. I mean, it's, you know, I'm, I mean, it's, it's a lovely marker of us starting this podcast journey together. So I think it will kind of always remind me of that. So it'll probably have a special place in my, in my heart for that, if nothing else, but it's just such a great record. It's just wonderful. And like, you know, as I say, you can, you can get lost in it. And I I think I will for many years to come. I think it's an album that will now stay with me for the rest of my life, which is, which is wonderful. I'm looking forward to you, uh, picking an album that I, that I get to declare total shit because that'll be, um, you know, that'll be equally fun in its own special way. (laughs) Well, I hope I can allow you to, uh, fulfill your fantasies. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I I expect you to deliver. I do want to say to people out there, if you have the opportunity, it is a bit of an expense, but if you are either already a fan of this record or are really interested in taking a deep dive into something you've not heard, the expansive deluxe, super deluxe, whatever version that just came out, that is, I know it's 11 LPs. I don't know what it is on CD, but it's really worth the purchase price. It's the nicest put together set I think I've ever purchased and uh, well worth the investment. But here on Classic Wax, since we're uh, we're cheap, we uh, we do have a double vinyl reissue that just came out to give away to a lucky listener, and we'll be posting on social media how you can get your hands on that uh, latest vinyl copy of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, courtesy of myself and Steve. Thank you once again for joining us for our discussion on Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, and we will see you next time.
Smoke. 